0: I think for, for certain lawyers, I get the persona. I get the whole, um, I, get, I get why they would want to keep that wall up and only show a certain side of themselves. I get it, and that works for them, and I think that's great. Stick with it. <laughs> uh, but for a majority of lawyers, um, they want clients who see them as human beings first, not just their lawyers, right? So in order to do that, you need to, you as a lawyer, need to show them that side of you.
1: I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. This episode of Daily Matters is brought to you by the 2020 Clio Cloud Conference, the world's best legal conference, which is going completely virtual for the first time ever. Get your pass now, at cliocloudconference.com today's guest is nicole aboud nicole is a former lawyer who is a business development associate at WordRake, a national speaker and an award-winning content creator perhaps best known as the producer and host of the gen y lawyer podcast nicole is guiding a new generation of leaders in the legal field nicole it's great to have you here today
0: thank you so much for having me I'm, i'm happy to join you and your listeners
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. And to start off, Nicole, your personal journey in legal started off in a not-so-positive way. Can you take us through your experience as a young lawyer and what led you to ultimately decide to stop practicing law and start helping other legal professionals instead?
0: Sure. So, you know, it's funny. It feels like a lifetime ago, Uh, even though I only practiced for five years. I graduated law school in 2011. So it feels like it was just a different. I was a different person, but growing up, I always wanted to be a lawyer. I have a very common story, like most people who do end up becoming lawyers. I loved everything about it. I loved law school, or I thought I would love everything about being a lawyer. And it wasn't until I actually started practicing that I realized uh, fairly quickly that it is not something I see myself doing for the rest of my life. I didn't really enjoy the work itself as much as I thought I would. I didn't enjoy the interactions I had with clients um, in in those scenarios, at least. And I just, there was something inside me that felt like this is not me and it's not Mm -hmm. really using my skills or personality or what have you to the best of their abilities. So after about five years of working for a firm and then working for myself, um, I decided to just take the plunge and start a business instead and I quit.
1: And what was the, before we get onto the business you started, what were some of the things that didn't line up with what your expectations were when you got into practice. You know, you obviously had this vision of what you thought being a lawyer would look like and there was some level of of dissonance once you got into practicing that things just didn't line up with the way you expected they would. What what were some of those things?
0: Yeah, Uh, you know, you think after all this time I'd have a better answer, but I think I just wasn't happy being a lawyer. And I didn't even enjoy telling people I was one. Um, I, uh, I don't know, at the end of the day, I didn't feel, and I hate to use this term, I didn't feel fulfilled. I felt like I was just yep. kind of doing everything uh, I had to, but I wasn't enjoying it. And I would dread waking up the next day and going into the office to do that work. So I, I, I don't know other than it just did not feel right. And I sometimes you just can't really describe certain emotions. And I think that's what it was. It didn't um, align.
1: And then what, what happened next? What what business did you found?
0: Yeah, so while I was still practicing, I wanted to start creating content because I had been reading about marketing and content marketing specifically. And when I opened my own practice about three years into being a lawyer, I wanted to focus on a certain segment uh, or a certain industry. And that was the fashion industry because I'm in LA. I, I love that uh, industry. So I thought, why not tailor my legal services to that? market. So I thought, okay, I need to create content to get my name out there. Cause I'm a young lawyer. I have no money. I can't really spend a lot of like, I can't spend on ads or anything. So I thought I'd start a blog, which I did, but that blog soon, I quickly realized that writing all day for work and then writing some more after work was also not enjoyable. So I thought, what other types of content can I create? And I stumbled upon podcasts. They were fairly new. This was about 2015 and they definitely weren't as popular as they are today, although they've been around for much longer, way before 2015. So I thought, let me start a podcast. But instead of focusing on the practice that I was doing, let me focus on something that I'm actually really passionate about. And that is helping other young lawyers who might be feeling what I'm feeling. And again, at that time, I was really unhappy. I was just kind of doing it because I'm like, I went to school, I need to give this a shot. So I thought I'd reach out and speak with young lawyers who were practicing in interesting ways or uh, who left the practice of law and they're doing something else with their degree and they're happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I figured, you know what? Let's set up a podcast. I Googled how to do it, uh, watched all the YouTube videos I could, and started the Gen Y Lawyer and then started having conversations with young lawyers across the US. Um, And then I think about three, maybe two or three years into that, I started getting a lot of other lawyers reaching out to me asking, Need to help them set up their own podcast, uh, and just help them figure out what theirs should be about the technical, like all the technical aspects of it. And I think I, I that kind of made me stop and think. You know what? All these people are asking me for help. I'm doing it for free <laughs> because they're my friends, and I <laughs> want to help them. Yeah. So why not make a business out of it? <laughs> so I kind of eventually put a price tag on it and started turned it into a business. And we we started doing um, content marketing and helping other lawyers with their podcasts and their videos.
1: Uh, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that part of the journey. And, and by the way, congratulations on the podcast in in twenty sixteen hey. and seventeen and eighteen. It was recognized as one of the top one hundred blogs and top legal podcasts by the ABA. And, and you obviously had a a great run there. Tell us what Thank some you. of the what were some of the big takeaways for you from that that experience of of doing the podcast and from the the conversations you had over that time frame.
0: Sure. So I I think a lot of the lessons I learned were ones that I took personally, not so much what the lawyers were saying, what my guests were saying, even though everything they said, their advice was phenomenal. Uh, It was more what I learned about myself. And I think I learned how to become a really great listener. And I learned the importance of being an active listener. And I think when you're a host, a podcast host or video host, you're forced to, a lot of times you're listening just so you can respond. Um, but it really made me step back and listen to what people were saying and actually come up with a thoughtful answer or another thoughtful question to follow. So I became very good at listening, which is very underrated in the legal profession. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then I think I just uh, literally and figuratively found my voice. I was able to connect with people who who my message resonated with. They reached out. I started building a community, which was from scratch, and that was amazing because I felt so lonely for the longest time. So I was able to really establish, um, I guess, a name for myself just by being myself and sharing my story and my message. So it helped me build a brand.
1: And it, it sounds like in, in the process of finding this, this audience, you went from maybe thinking you were alone in, in feeling this lack of satisfaction and engagement with your legal career and, and found many other Gen Y lawyers that had the same feelings and same emotions that that you did
0: yeah definitely and I think that's what I mean a lot of lawyers feel isolated in this profession for whatever reason and uh it's becoming more common to talk about these things now whether it's through a blog or just face-to-face with other people other lawyers um, or through a Facebook group like now people actually speak up and talk about things that bother them whether it's mental health or substance abuse but uh, it wasn't like this a few years ago, and we still have a long way to go anyway. So, but I found that through, yeah, through just speaking up and mentioning or just saying that you have an issue or something's bothering you, you more than likely will find someone else who is going through the same thing. You can commiserate together. <laughs> um, but also you end up helping people who don't step forward and or who aren't at that point where they can step forward and say they're dealing with that issue too. So.
1: And what led you to ultimately wind down the podcast in the the fall of 2019, and and maybe tell us about how that uh, directly or indirectly led to your most recent chapter, which is joining WordRake?
0: Yeah, it's um it's still a little sad when I think about it, but it so after about four and a half years, I just felt like I had a lot of amazing conversations. I had all the conversations I think I needed at that point, and it just felt like a good time to just end it (laughs) to end the show Um, I think a few things were happening a a lot more podcasts were emerging which which is fine Um, it's definitely good to be already established so we had we had a listener base but I think I started seeing a lot of very similar conversations happening out there and I thought you know what I've given this this podcast everything I had creatively I've met a lot of amazing people I've grown I've changed myself uh, and where I was in life and it was just a good time to walk away on a high note sometimes you just have to yep. kind of wrap things up right so it was a good time
1: that's right back to the the seinfeld uh frame of mind leave leave on a high high note leave them wanting more
0: <laughs> there you go i always appreciate a good seinfeld reference
1: <laughs> and uh tell us about your 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 latest uh adventure which is is joining joining word Rig.
0: yeah and it is quite an adventure <laughs> So I, I was so I still had a boot media, which is the business. I still had podcasting clients that we were producing shows for, uh, even after my my podcast ended. But earlier this year, I uh, this is 2020, I um, got the feeling that I really wanted to be part of a team again. I had worked alone. I had independent contractors when I was um, running the production company, but I really wanted to be part of a company, uh, and I think I. I speak about leadership so often, but I, I'm not really in a company to see how it works from the inside out. Uh, I can only guess how it's working based on what I see. So I really wanted to dive in and see what leadership, what great leadership looked like from the inside out. So I was on Twitter and I happened to see Ivy Gray, who is my supervisor now. She posted that there was an opening and I thought, perfect, <laughs> this is a great opportunity. It's a good timing. And this was earlier this year. Um, and, and I saw that it was remote work. So this is before everyone started working remotely because of coronavirus. Um, and, and because I'm, because I'm pregnant, I knew, I'm, I knew I wanted to work from home. Congratulations. So, thank you, yeah, I'm almost there. <laughs> um, so I, I applied and because it was Ivy, I, I knew I wanted to work with her. She has an amazing reputation, it precedes her. I knew she'd be a great leader to watch and emulate but also just to learn from as a mentor. So I applied and I didn't think I'd get it, but I got it, <laughs> I started. Well,
1: c- congratulations, and coincidentally, we had Ivy on the, the show earlier this uh, this week.
0: That's right. Uh,
1: and and heard a little bit about what uh, WordRake does. Very cool technology, very cool service. Yes. Um, c- can you tell us a little bit about what resonated about what WordRake's doing and maybe the opportunity that you saw to have impact at a legal tech company?
0: Sure. So uh, Wordrake, for those who might not have listened to her episode just yet, although they should go and listen, uh, it is an an add-in for Microsoft Word, and it helps you write better by helping you edit your writing, basically. It clarifies it, removes redundancy, all that great stuff. So for me, I saw this tool as, as what it is, right? It helps you edit. That's great. But I saw it as something that can be used for a greater purpose, especially by lawyers. And for me, it's not so much the editing, it's more of zooming out and looking at communication in general. So how is it that lawyers and professionals communicate? Um, a lot of it is done through writing, right? Through our briefs, through our emails, our blog posts, even our social media posts. All of that is written and it's all representative of, of our thoughts, right? So I, thought, so I saw this tool and I thought it would be so great to be able to introduce more lawyers to it and get them to Clarify what they're trying to say, help them get their message out there. So, while I helped uh, do that through podcasting with the production company, I feel like this is very similar. It's just more of a writing tool, it's helping them clarify what they're trying to say, their message uh, through writing. So, and, and because it's a business associate uh, or business development associate position, I, I mean, that was perfect for me. I knew I'd be reaching out and meeting new lawyers and just talking to people all the time, which I love doing. So, yeah, it was, it was a great opportunity to combine my love for communication, I guess, and helping lawyers um, just be better at what they do.
1: So back in 2017, Nicole, you gave a really well-received talk on uh, how the legal professionals can better understand clients and colleagues who belong to the millennial generation. Um, and I think it's a really important topic. Millennials are already the largest purchasing generation on the planet, and there's a lot of things that need to change around how mm-hmm. legal professionals design and deliver their legal services to better meet the needs of this, this generation. Um, can, can you share some of the the highlights from your, your Clio Cloud conference talk and in the in intervening three years, maybe as well, that it feels like a lifetime ago, are there some new insights or some new dynamics around working with millennials that you think uh, you would you would factor into the talk if you were to give it again?
0: Hmm. So I, I tried thinking back to that talk and I probably should have just gone back and watched it. It's on YouTube. But um, I, I think not, interestingly enough, not a lot has changed uh, or it hadn't changed up until, the pandemic. Uh, And I was, I was thinking about how us working from home or more people, more lawyers working from home really not just affects the legal profession overall, but how it really affects millennials specifically. And I think a lot of what I talked about in, in the presentation a few years ago are finally being implemented, even if it's by force by many law firms. But I talked about how millennial lawyers your millennial associates really look for flexibility and autonomy in their work schedules and um and they're and they're looking for constant feedback uh, open communication with their employers that's really what makes them thrive uh and i think the third thing I, i talked about was how uh employers should really pay attention to what's happening in the millennials lives outside of work and see how they can um not so much it, but take it into account when they're,
1: mm-hmm. they're
0: helping them uh, or making decisions towards them. So I, I noticed that a lot of those things are being applied now that we're all kind of working from home. It's more common, but we do have that flexibility that we've been seeking. We, we've wanted, we've always said that we can work from anywhere. It doesn't really have to be from an office. When I say we, I'm of course speaking on behalf of every millennial out there. <laughs> um, but, but in that open communication is, has come to the forefront now that we have video and email to communicate through because we don't see people face to face. So a lot of those things have kind of been um, at the forefront now because now that we have to, these are the ways we're communicating. But I think in terms of the third thing that I talked about at the at the presentation, which is take into account what's happening in millennials lives outside of work. That's where I see uh, some millennials currently struggling, some millennial lawyers struggling or well, millennials in general. So a lot of millennials are uh, either looking to start families or have young kids at home. And I think we all know the struggle of, of parents who are trying to work from home, trying to parent, trying to run everything at the same, run a household at the same time, and how hard that's been now that kids aren't really going to school. So I think that's something that, uh, that's kind of the a negative thing that has happened because of the, well, one of many things, negative things that happened because of the pandemic. Right. Uh, but as an employer, keep that in mind um, when you're working with your millennials be as flexible as you can <laughs> to kind of accommodate the fact that they do have young kids at home and they're they're juggling all these things but um but yeah, a lot of the things have changed thankfully
1: and, and maybe there's two lenses to look at that that question through you know first as you mentioned if you're uh a law firm employing millennial lawyers or or just millennial staff in general, what are some of the accommodations, what are are some of the um, tools that you might use to better um, leverage and and accommodate that generation? And and if you're a law firm catering to millennials as clients, it's kind of a a separate basket of considerations. Mm -hmm. So, you mentioned some of the things you're seeing that have, have been positive progress on the law firm side. Um, can you just walk us through what some of the accommodations you've seen work effectively or or, or some of the ways of working that have been well received by, by millennials? And some of those may, as you pointed out, have been kind of foisted on us thanks to the COVID-19 crisis, but maybe looking even at, at how things had changed over the uh, over the last few years, pre-COVID, were, were things moving in a direction that gave you, gave you optimism? And then what did COVID help accelerate maybe?
0: Right. So, so keep in mind a lot of the millennial lawyers that I spoke with and whose stories I listened to were either solo or small firm lawyers. So I'm not sure I can speak to what big law looked like or how they accommodated or didn't, their mm-hmm. millennial lawyers. Uh, but I know for a lot of the solo practitioners or those at small law firms, they uh, they were looking to uh, implement technology that allowed them to stay connected even when they were at home uh, or wherever it is they were working from. Same thing during COVID times. They are using uh, various tools online, not just the basics of email and um, text messaging, but it's everything from video chatting to software like Zoom to communicate with clients. Uh, I see a lot of millennial lawyers uh, having a lot more FaceTime with their clients because they're easily accessible through through their phone, through email, through whatever video platform they're using. Uh, I think a lot of them have implemented software that allows them to access their documents as well. I imagine the same for big law, anything that allows them, like the cloud, anything that allows them to access whatever they had in their office. Just replicate that at home, uh, easily, easily accessible. But yeah, I think it's I think it's really technology. <laughs> That's what they're relying on, right? Like how how can they replicate that office feeling that at home and make sure that the experience is seamless for the client? Because the client doesn't really care on their end how it is that they can reach their lawyer. They just want to be able to reach them, uh, know what's going on with their cases.
1: And and do you think from the client perspective, there's significant changes in in how you want to approach interacting uh, with a client that's a millennial as opposed to one that, that isn't.
0: Um, yeah, I think the major thing is keeping communication channels open with clients and that applies for a lawyer of any age, really of any generation. Uh, so, either having some kind of online portal for clients to be able to access their own information. If you're the type of lawyer who doesn't want to necessarily respond um, every time someone emails you, you can just have some kind of online, uh, like I said, portal where people can go check on their cases. Um, But I think being available is very important. And that looks different for every person. Uh, When I say that, I don't mean be available 24-7, but definitely be more available than just nine to five. I know clients obviously know we're all, well, for the most part, we're all kind of working from home. So we are potentially easily accessible 24 seven, but as a lawyer, just be communicating, overly communicating with your clients. I think that's probably the best advice I can give.
1: I'd love for you to talk maybe about the role of, of authenticity as well. And and you you mentioned earlier in the podcast that, you know, lawyers in in many ways are trained to be a little bit Kind of robotic and and you know have have a bit of a persona that they they project out and in, in some of the conversations I've had with with clients over the course of the COVID pandemic they've, they've talked about the the fact they've liked seeing this more personal side of their of their lawyer and similarly lawyers have found themselves being more comfortable showing a bit more of their their real selves and um, people get a glimpse into. Uh, our, our private lives a little bit, our, our kids or our, our dogs or our cats wander into our right. our Zoom frame and, and so on. And it, it feels like, um, you know, both clients and lawyers have realized that maybe there can be a more personal relationship in that legal interaction. Can you speak a little bit about whether that you know, resonates with you and whether you think that's especially relevant in, in this millennial uh, perspective that we're talking about here?
0: Yeah, no, that definitely resonates with me. I and I've kind of always been of that mindset, um, even before it became more popular to be authentic <laughs> and open. But I, I think for for certain lawyers, I get the persona. I get the whole. Um, I get. I get why they would want to keep that wall up and only show a certain side of themselves. I get it, and that works for them, and I think that's great. Stick with it. <laughs> uh, but for a majority of lawyers. Um, they want clients who see them as human beings first not just their lawyers right so in order to do that you need to you as a lawyer need to show them that side of you and there are many reasons to do that Uh, from a marketing perspective you never know what a client or potential client will connect with you over so for it it could be they have the same type of dog or they're runners as well or they enjoy the same type of wine (laughs) so whatever it is that you're able to show from your non-legal side can really only help you get clients assuming you're not posting or showing some crazy side of yourself right um but um but yeah clients want to work with other human beings they want to know that you are competent which of course you got to walk the walk as well but they they also want to see that fun side of you and you're right now that a lot more lawyers are around their families or they're at home or whatever it is that they're doing now that they're not just in the office 24 7. Uh, potential clients and current clients are able to, assuming the lawyers are posting and sharing this information, they're they're able to see that more authentic human side. Um, and I think it just humanizes lawyers in general. It, it's no surprise we have a bad reputation. I don't think we deserve it. <laughs> uh, so I think if we're able to show that we are, like other people, we are able to help, we are here to help, we put ourselves in a lot of debt to do that, to help others. So um so yeah, anything that will help break down those barriers, make lawyers less intimidating, make them seem less robotic, I'm I'm definitely a huge fan of that.
1: So let's talk also about the this kind of double whammy that the millennial generation's been been hit with from a career advancement perspective. You know, either you know graduating into or graduating into the the tail end as as you did of the the 2008 2009 financial crisis and all of the fallout from that now being hit by a, a, a global pandemic and, and one of the most severe depressions we've, we've ever seen. Uh, how do you expect this crisis to, to, to impact millennials' legal careers? And, and in what ways do you think the, the COVID-19 crisis might be different than the 2008, 2009 financial crisis?
0: Mm. Well, to, I guess to answer the second part first, I think the one major way it's different is now we kind of have hindsight, um, we were, we did go through the 08 recession. Um, so we, we kind of see how that, we see how that played out essentially, right? Yeah. And you're right. So I, I graduated 2011, we were still reeling from it. And I, when I graduated, I managed to get a part-time job only as, as an associate. And that was better than most of my friends. So it was bad, the economy was bad. Uh, but I think a few things, it did get better. Right? It did get better eventually. So I know a lot of lawyers don't want to hear this right now, but maintaining some ounce of optimism is always good, knowing that it will hopefully get better. Uh, but I also see a lot of great opportunity right now. Um, I think that there, whether you're a young lawyer who already has uh, a job, you're already working for a firm, you have your own firm, or you're looking uh, for something, I think paying attention to what's happening in, um, just in the economy right now, paying attention to what Uh, issues a lot of people are having legal trouble with and if you're able to kind of shift your services to help those people or if you already work in an area that's uh, a practice area that is is in need right now uh really going full force on that right now so pay attention to landlord tenant issues that's that's a lot of issues there are a lot of issues there now right so if you can again tailor your services to help those people there's a lot of opportunity Um, And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of millennial lawyers who have their own practices. They're my friends. They're all doing really, really well. Knock on wood, business is booming, which is not what I expected when I asked them. I thought things would have slowed down uh, because of the pandemic, but they are as busy as as ever. So that goes to show you that people need help. They need legal help right now. So if you can find those opportunities, um, whether it's pro bono or paid, definitely go for it.
1: And as you pointed out, at least in some practice areas, and it's pretty easy to, to guess at which those might be, but if you tailor your services for people that have been impacted by COVID-19 in those specific practice areas, there's, there's going to be, if there's not already, a tsunami of demand in those, in those areas that, as you pointed out, you might need to get creative in terms of how you price and package and deliver those services, but there is an enormous opportunity there.
0: Right, exactly, and it's not to be seen as taking advantage of the situation at all. Although I've I've seen a lot of legal ads that were a little borderline, like it was too soon kind of thing. Right. Uh, but no, especially in the estate planning realm. But I think uh, as a lawyer, this is you have these you have this knowledge and your the skill set, so you need to use it to help people in this time. So I, yeah, I there's think
1: there's a genuine need out there. Exactly. Um, And maybe that's a great way to lead into our our final question, Nicole, on your LinkedIn bio, you say that lawyers are exceptionally qualified to help people, or I'm sorry, on your LinkedIn bio, you say that lawyers are exceptionally qualified to help change society for the better and leave this world a kinder place. And I I think it's a great way of (laughs) framing uh, at least the aspirational state of what the, the legal profession can be doing and the kind of impact it can be having. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what's behind that statement? Why you feel like lawyers have the opportunity to make that impact? And and more importantly, where do you think lawyers have the biggest opportunity to have that impact today?
0: Sure. So I, I don't know if you can tell I'm a huge lawyer cheerleader. I, I think lawyers are great. I tend to surround myself with amazing ones. I'm, I'm sure there are different kinds out there. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of uh, lawyers in general and what we can do, especially for the world. But, uh, I actually updated that LinkedIn bio not so long ago. It was at the height of the, uh, black lives matter movement. Uh, so about a month or so ago. And I, I just remember feeling really, well, I was really scared as to what was happening. I was really concerned. And I remember seeing a lot of my lawyer friends just posting, uh, how they're helping. And it got me Mm -hmm. thinking about how lawyers really are. In the best position to help society because we know the law. Uh, we're tasked tasked with upholding it, and if you look at most of our leaders, either in government, and uh, well, in law firms, in different companies, a lot of them are or were lawyers, right? So we lawyers find themselves in leadership positions in every every sector, every industry. Um, so I really think that there we have this responsibility to. Not only help others, but to really move society forward, whatever that looks like. Um, and I think, I think one place, well, before anything, before we can help other people, I really think we need to turn uh, our sights inwards to our own profession first and start working to make it better um, before we can really help other people. So I think, uh, I think seeing changes in terms of more diversity, uh, mm-hmm. more inclusion, more belonging. Um, just making it more representative as a profession. I think that's probably where we need to start working first. And then uh, eventually all that goodness overflows out to society as well.
1: Well, it's a great note to to end on and an optimistic note to, to end on. I really appreciate you joining us today, Nicole. Thanks for the great conversation.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast.